Yo, it's honestly been really cool getting back to recording these interviews. I'm having some dope conversations with some really cool people. Today's episode is actually a perfect example of that. But before we get to it, I wanted to shed a light on a local organization. It's called New York Bowhunters. But rather than you guys having to listen to me go on and on about it, here's Randy Kirk, a regional coordinator for New York Bowhunters, to tell you all about it. Thanks for having us on. We are New York Bowhunters Incorporated. We're an all-volunteer 501c3 non-for-profit organization. We are dedicated to protecting the sport of bowhunting in New York. If you enjoy bowhunting today, you have already benefited from our organization. Since the early 90s, we have been involved in the legislature to help shape the current hunting season structure that is in place. In the 90s, we were instrumental in gaining bow hunters access to the deer management permits. Later, we helped establish the DMP transfer between hunters and full inclusion of deer management permits in all seasons. In early 2000, our efforts helped add one month of archery only hunting in Suffolk County, extending the season to start in October 1st. In 2005, we lobbied to keep muzzle loaders out of early bow season, and we were successful. In 2011, we helped lower the youth bow hunting age to 12 years old. And in 2012, we were instrumental in gaining 13 days of bow hunting, where we pushed for an October 1st season opener. We also have programs in youth archery, where we provide equipment and staff to help teach children about archery and hunting. We have a veteran program called Camel to Camel that started out as our members sending packages to deployed servicemen and women in the Middle East. We eventually sent enough archery equipment that resulted in a full target range about 50 miles north of Baghdad. We estimate that we sent over seven tons of care packages. The program currently organizes free hunts for our wounded veterans. We do all of this off our, our membership fees and our fundraising. Head over to NewYorkBowHunters.com where you can become a member. You can get more in-depth information on our accomplishments page. You can read our digital copies of Full Draw Magazine, buy merchandise, and get info on upcoming events in your area. While you're there, buy tickets for our annual rendezvous in Greenville, New York on May 14th. You can also purchase raffle tickets. The winner gets a choice of a Black Widow custom recurve bow or a PSE Stinger compound bow ready to shoot package or a scoped HOA 270 caliber rifle. The winner will be announced at the rendezvous. Back to you, Cliff. All right, thanks for that info, Randy. So, in the show notes will be a link to New York Bowhunters membership info, as well as a link to their banquet raffle. Remember, you don't have to be present to win. So, go ahead and purchase as many raffle tickets as you want. Who knows, you might get lucky. All right. So without further ado, let's move on to the show. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to When the Hunt Calls, the only hunting podcast hosted by a middle-aged black guy from New York City. I'm your host, Cliff Cadet, and my guest today is Krista Whiteman. How are you doing today, Krista? 
I'm good. How about yourself? <laughs> all right, all right. Um, I gotta say thank you. Um, I I tend to interv- do these interviews during my lunch break, and it's not necessarily the most uh, what's it called? what do I want to say? The best time of day, the best time for others to be on with me. So I really appreciate you taking the time out, you know, midday to sit and talk with me. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. Lunch break too. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I know you primarily through social media. You go by the Instagram handle of Artemis Ascendant. Yep. Um, first of all, that is a dope Instagram Instagram handle. I always got to point that out to, <laughs> to my guests. Because that's how I, I primarily invite my guests is through Instagram. So um, can we touch on real quick where that, like, how'd you come up with that or what that handle is uh, affiliated with? Sure. Um so uh, Artemis is actually uh, the Greek goddess of the hunt, Artemis. Um, mm-hmm. She is Diana, but she was um, she was a, uh, a goddess who uh, a lot of people called her a virgin, but really uh, the translation of the term was that she was a woman unto herself. Um, she didn't have a, a, a male partner or um, spouse. Uh, she pretty much roamed... Uh, the forests um, by herself with her bow in hand. And a lot of times she's depicted with um, a, a wolf or a, a dog, like a canine creature um, following her. Some of the art shows her with a deer. And um, so she's just a, a, a goddess, a persona, an archetype that I feel particularly uh, called to and strongly about. And um, the ascendant part is um, in in astrology. There is, um, you know, most of us know our our sun signs. Like when we're born, the the astro the astrological sign that was it, the sun was in when we we're born. But a lot of people may or may not know there's a an ascendant sign that you have that actually tells more about who you are and your personality in the world. And so. Um, I just I liked that term, and it to me it was about um, embodying and becoming and ascending into this sort of um, kind of Artemis persona that for me has meaning around um, being a woman in the outdoors, uh, being a woman in the outdoors who's taking this on for myself. Like my, I don't have like a, a male partner or family member who got me into hunting. This was something that um, I decided that I wanted to do for myself and largely kind of pursue kind of like on my own for my own interest so um that whole woman unto herself kind of uh really was the clincher for for me and putting that name together okay so you are now officially the winner of the dopest meaning behind their (laughs) instagram name uh ever um because I've, I've asked people i've asked people that you know what i'm saying and they'll be like oh it, it was whatever was available it was either that or like if i were to use my name cliff cadet it'd be like cliff cadet one two three yeah <laughs> so you like i said you are hands down the most original the most original instagram handle and sincere meaning behind that handle ever so <laughs> kudos to you all right so i've got to I've got to ask. Um, all right. So where are you originally from? Um, I originally grew up in Western Maryland, pretty close to oh, wow. West Virginia. And um, I came to New York State to go to chiropractic school, 
um, and I went um, I went to school upstate in the Finger Lakes region and ended up uh, staying here. Never thought of myself as being a New Yorker. Um, I, I, I say like I'm a Western girl with a Eastern zip code, like in my heart, I live in, I don't know, Colorado or Montana or something like that, but, um, and happened to be here in New York. <laughs> nice. Well, New York wel- welcomes you and it seems to suit <laughs> you just fine. So did you grow up hunting? Did you grow up in the outdoors? Not really. Um, yeah, my I think my dad like did some Boy Scouts maybe when he was a kid and and but we didn't even do like camping trips or anything like that. Um, I he took me fishing a couple of times when I was a kid, probably like grade school age, and I liked it okay, but didn't really take to it. Like at that point, I was like, oh, it's gross putting the worms on the hook and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, but then when I was in college, I got really into rock climbing. And that's actually where my relationship with the outdoors started. And one of the reasons why I live here is because of the schwa gunks or what people call the gunks. And it's um, a ridge that has two to three pitches of some of the, like, the best climbing, ar- arguably in the world, um, depending on how what kind of style of climbing you like. And it sits, of course, like right on top of NYC. So we get a lot of um, folks from the city who come up and are climbing. So it's a very like international kind of cosmopolitan um, climbing destination. And I was really, really into climbing for many years and, and into mountaineering. And that's primarily where I learned my, my outdoor skill set. I was doing like backpacking and, you know, climb Rainier and some stuff in the, um, in the Cascades. Um, you know, spent a couple summers in Colorado, peak bagging and climbing and stuff like that out there. Um, and then, um, my partner, who was actually a rock climbing guide at the time, had an accident where um, uh, he had a, nearly ripped his foot off, basically. And wow. um, it just, it ended my relationship with with climbing because now it was something that like wasn't ever, um, it didn't feel safe anymore for me and I had a lot of like anxiety around uh, climbing and being in that environment and at the same time I was also kind of on a trajectory where I wanted to I was craving like a deeper relationship with with the outdoors and being outside and one of the things I noticed about climbing is that I was always like moving over or through or around uh, the landscape but never like in or with or like really taking time to notice it. And I remember right about that time I had taken a, uh, a medicinal botany course with this gentleman up in Maine. And, um, I had come back from that. And I remember like being in the the parking lot, we were getting ready to go climbing and I'm looking at all the plants that are around me in this parking lot that I've been in like a gazillion times over the last decade. And suddenly there's like, Oh, there's this witch hazel and there's burdock and this da da da. And all these plants started like standing out to me for you know some of their medicinal uses or or um edible uses or whatnot and i'd never noticed them before i was so like head down you know just blinders on um to get to the climbing that you know i didn't notice all these things in nature that were happening around me so um i got introduced about that time 
about hunting as a way of being more connected to um, to nature and to the the cycles of what's happening around me. And um, so, yeah, I really only started hunting about uh, four or five years ago, and it was to um, to have that deeper relationship with with the outdoors, with nature, with where my food comes from, with the life of the animals that are out there with the life of the plants, like the whole nine. Like I just, I want to be feral is what it comes down to. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I totally understand and can relate. Um, So what'd you do? What, what, um, what tool or weapon did you start out with? A bow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Totally a bow. I had never, I had never used a, a firearm the first time I ever shot a firearm was actually my hunter safety class. It was like the the 22 and the the 12 gauge that I had to demonstrate safety with in the in the course. But I had never, I don't think I even had ever touched a firearm before that. And um, I had, but just prior to taking my hunter safety, I had gotten a bow, a recurve bow, and was starting to kind of like mess around with that and like shoot it in the in the yard and stuff like that. I have enough space up here. I can shoot in my yard um, safely. And I really liked archery too, because there's a lot about like the, the, the form that I really dig in my everyday life as a chiropractor, like alignment and form and how the body moves are things that um, I really get to when I'm interested in. So archery that like having to all like really think and feel through how my body was aligned, like really kind of appealed to me. And, um, yeah, so archery, I was really interested in archery and so started thinking like, oh, well, bow hunting, that sounds like something I could do because there's not like the big loud noise and the the danger of the gun and all that kind of jazz. So that's where I started. And, you know, it's now, it's evolved to where like I, I do have a rifle and shotguns and hunt with those things. <laughs> and I'm in the process of applying for my pistol permit up here too, so... Oh wow, you went down that rabbit hole, huh? You, oh yeah, <laughs> I just <laughs> I didn't tiptoe down the rabbit hole. I just like fell straight down it. <laughs> so you have a recurve. Do you have a compound as well? I do. Yeah, I um. At first, I was really like, I want to hunt with this recurve. Actually, like it in my in my um wildest dreams I would hunt with a self bow that I made and I I do have a self bow that I have made um but being a new you made your own bow yeah I I have a long bow that I've that I made um I don't shoot it much because I need to make arrows and tune arrows for it um but um the uh yeah that would be like my ultimate like that would be my ultimate hunt would be um, a bow that I've made with arrows that I've made, and if I could flint nap my own points for it too, like I think that would be super super cool. Um, and then there's reality, and I realized, <laughs> at least for me, um, being a new hunter, there was like so much already just to learn about hunting that like handicapping myself with, um, uh, you know, using a a bow like that, a weapon like that, was just like I was just gonna frustrate myself to no end. So, um, I do have a compound bow. Um, I got that, I think in the middle of the first season that I was hunting, um, 
and I actually didn't have my my bow certification. So my first season of hunting, I only hunted the the firearm season. And then by the next year, I had gotten my um, my bow hunter safety. And um, and that year, I only hunted bow because I was like, I don't know if I like being in the woods with all these other people with guns. <laughs> um, and so I only hunted bow season. And uh, now now I, I hunt both of them, depending on where I'm going and and uh what's available i'm i'm on a <clears throat> i'm on a tear right now to um in 2020 uh on the first day of bow season i actually shot my first and only buck um uh, with my compound and it happened at like he came in at like 12 yards i, I mean like i could have done that shot with my with my recurve so now i'm like hmm if I can do that with my compound, can I do this with my recurve? So I've been been practicing a bunch. I, I practice almost exclusively right now with my recurve. Um in and I'm trying and I hunted exclusively with my um with my recurve last fall. I didn't get any shots, but I did hunt with it um last fall. And um that's my goal now is to uh harvest an animal with my recurve bow. So I don't know how much longer I'll have that compound if that happens, if that goes as planned. <laughs> well, I've got to ask, um, all right, from what I've seen, and this is primarily through social media, so I, I take it with a grain of salt, but um, most recurve hunters, um, I don't necessarily see in like tree stands or climbers, they tend to hunt from the ground. Is that what you do? Um, not necessarily. I was in a tree stand. I, I ran a saddle this, this year and I was, um, mm -hmm. I was in my tree stand for most of it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the thing you just, I would say about hunting a tree stand is, uh, with a, with a recurve is you don't have to get quite as high up. In fact, actually, if you, if you get too high up, you're gonna, the angles are going to be weird. Um, mm -hmm. and you have to compensate for that a little bit more. Um, what I did learn too this year from hunting out of a tree with my recurve is that, you know, the, you know, the axle to axle on my compound is like maybe 30 inches, whereas my recurve is technically 62. I think it's, it's much longer and awkward yeah. to have up in a, in a tree. And I think that can be one of the reasons why people maybe tend to shoot more or hunt more from the ground. Um, I haven't, I haven't felt confident enough to, to hunt from the ground just because your scent control game has to be so much more like on lock to, to do that. Cause like you already have to get an animal in so close to be able to take a shot with a recurve and then like to be on the ground where you're like, you know, spreading your scent around. It's like, Ooh, that seems like, that seems like another level. So I'm trying to. To, to help myself out by um, uh, hunting out of a tree. But there's um, uh, one of the guys that I follow on social media, East Coast Stickbow. He's in New Jersey. He kills some like monster, beautiful bucks in New Jersey with the recurve out of his um, tree stand. And I think the tin Timber Ninja Outdoors folks who they make um, some really nice um, lightweight um stairs steps um sticks that's the word i'm looking for <laughs> that's not it uh they make some really nice uh lightweight sticks and i'm pretty sure the the gentleman behind that account like 
hunts out of a tree stand with a recurve bow too. So there, there's definitely plenty of us out there hunting out of trees with recurve bows. So nice. All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit. Um, uh, so you, which do you prefer, tree stand or your saddle? Um, who I. So far, I like my saddle a lot more. I'm still fine-tuning that setup, but I feel like the saddle, I feel like I look a lot more natural and can hide in the tree a lot more. Um, also, as a former rock climber, the system makes a lot more sense to me. Like, being in a tree stand with the, the full-body harness with the dorsal behind you that, like, may or may not have absorber in it, you know, there's just a lot about that system that I'm like, that's really not the safest system ever. Cause if you fall out of the tree stand, um, you, if you're not completely cinched up and like tight to the tree, you could fall below the level of your, your platform. And then you would have to be able to either have an aider on the back, or you'd have to know how to use the aider to step up into it, to get up out of the, to climb back up and like suspension trauma <laughs> can actually like kill you within like 15 minutes. So I, I run wow. on a, on a, um, an evacuation team. We work, um, I volunteer with a crew that we do, we're trained to do like the gondola evacuation rescues at like ski resorts and whatnot. And we have to wear like the big full body, like Petzl work certified harnesses to be working at that height. And like, we have to have, extra training we do in a system that would like release us from if we were hanging in that harness for any length of time that becomes a, a danger to us if we something were it we became incapacitated or something happened where we were like hanging just from the the harness um it cuts off the blood flow in your femoral arteries or it can and then it causes some some issues so i see that as like well, that's the current tree stand system that most people are running with a full body harness. And, you know, I, I see a lot of folks who are like, they're not keeping the dorsal very tight because they want to be able to have room to move around, especially like if a shot comes in, they want to be able to stand up and come full draw and maybe follow the animal around the tree. So the currently the saddle, I'm never, I never have slack in the system that I could fall below the level of my, my platform. Um, so I'm never in a situation where that really that kind of suspension trauma could could happen. Um, and the system, like just being able to use like a rope man or something like that to do all the positioning to like, you know, find more comfortable positions that's easily released, but then like also takes up the slack. That's just, you know, everything I understand from rock climbing. I'm like, that system just makes sense. So I like my saddle a lot better. Um, I'm getting used to doing all day you know trying trying to build up to all day sits in my saddle i will say it's it is much harder to go dawn to dusk in in a saddle you just you don't you can't just like check out as much lean your head against the tree and maybe take like a little cat nap like you like you would with a uh, a stand a hang on stand or a climber or something like that so okay. that's my current preference <laughs> Got it. Got it. No, it makes sense. Definitely. Because uh, I've actually done all day sits in a blind, mm -hmm. which I like because it was cramped. Mm -hmm. uh, and I like I kept fighting the urge to step outside the blind and just like stretch. Mm -hmm. And 
Then um, I've also done an all-day sit in my climber, which is uncomfortable as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I can imagine that it, it might be a lot more comfortable in uh, in a saddle. Mm -hmm. But um, all right, one of the things I wanted to touch on as well was um, looking at uh, you know some of your posts last year on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, you post a lot of tr animal tracks. That yep. I've seen. So, have you been getting into, or are you already like really skilled at tracking? <laughs> well, that depends on who you ask. Um, <laughs> I, I would say no. Um, but yeah, I've been um, taking some workshops and, and doing some stuff um, within what's called the Cyber Tracker system. And uh, it has a funny name, but it was, it started in South Africa with this. Um, gentleman, Louis Liebenberg, who wanted to, to study and understand how um, the son Bushman there like learned tracking. And he actually has, you can download it for free at, at this point. I don't think it's in print anymore, but he has a whole book that is his sort of thesis that the, the origin of science is in tracking. And tracking is this way of like coming up with a hypothesis about what an animal is doing or where it's going or, or um, you know, what it's trying to do. And then following the tracks as a and observing them to then either validate or uh, the hypothesis or you come up with another hypothesis that explains um, what may be happening. So the argument is that our whole scientific method comes from how these folks uh, learned and thought about tracking and that had implications for how the human brain formed and developed. So, um, but in the meantime, he created CyberTracker because they... We're trying to understand, I mean, they don't have really a written language. It's more a verbal oral language. So he created this program on a Palm Pilot that had icons and would send them out in the field with that to like log the things that they were seeing with the icons and to try and understand what was what kinds of things they were seeing and keying into that was giving them information that they were then taking action on while they were tracking an animal. And from that, there was also the piece where, you know, Westerners were coming and um, were hiring these folks to be trackers on safaris and expeditions. And as as they were getting paid and getting like Western money for this skill, like other groups around them who maybe didn't have that skill were, were wanting to get that piece of the pie and were saying, oh yeah, I'm a tracker too. And, and the Westerners would come in, they didn't have any way of understanding who actually had the skills of being a tracker and who didn't. And there would be some issues where they might hire somebody who claimed to be a tracker and then really didn't have the skill set. So um, they created a certification system where folks could come in, take a test, they would be validated in their skill set and then get a certification. And now, uh, you know, a Western hunter, European hunter could come in and say like, you know, we need a tracker that's this level or or more likely it's usually whoever's the on the ground outfitter at the point will, uh, you know, look for who has the certain tracking level tracking skills and then employ them for the hunters that come and or folks who come to do safari or something like that. And then, so it started in Africa and now it's like spreading across, you know, Europe and North America. And here in North America, it's not so much about, about jobs and employment. It's starting to get there. Whereas like in Africa, like this is a system that is actually helping provide like 
skilled labor and living wages for the folks who have these tracking skills here in America. It's more, you know, the, the stereotype is a lot of like nerdy white people who just want to know more about, uh, about nature. <laughs> it's not really like a, a job kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it, it just seems to me like it has so much um, crossover to hunting. And one of the things that as I was getting into hunting and asking and annoying so many people with questions and stuff like that, it seemed like tracking only came into hunting after the kill. And I couldn't find people who had really like good answers or information about, for me about, you know, how can I use what I'm seeing in the woods, how can I see more stuff in the woods? And then how can I use that to put together a bigger picture of what's going on? So I know where to set myself up to find animals. And so I've just found that the folks in the cyber tracker world are like way more kind of like nuanced in how they look at tracks. Cause it's like, it's not just like, oh, there's a deer track and it's, oh, it's heading that way. It's like, we're looking at, you know, can we tell if that's male or female? Can we tell the age? Can we tell, like, maybe how large that animal is? You know, what else was happening? Is there, you know, where is their feeding sign? What other animals, you know, came across here? Um, I did a, a evaluation up in Maine in, um, in September. You know, and we looked at everything from, like, river otter scats to flying squirrel feeding sign to all kinds of, we were at the beach and at one point and looking at all kinds of different bird tracks. And so I love hunting and I love knowing stuff about deer, but I also want to know like all the other things that are happening there too. And um, the, the stuff that I've learned through cyber tracker has just really helped um, take my awareness to the, to the next level. Like I just see more things when I'm, when I'm in the woods because I've, I've had to look for them. I have an understanding of what they might be. So they actually stick out to me as opposed to like, you know, just walking by some scrapes on a, on a tree trunk. I might have not noticed anything about them before. Now it's like, Oh, I know what those scrape markings are on that tree trunk. That's da, 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 da. Um, and that tells me about this side of the other thing. So yeah, I, I, I'm one of those white people who like to nerd out on, on tracking. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's really dope though because it's it's funny because it's taking your your interest in like because you mentioned going from you know having been a rock climber you should just get to your spot climb whatever you know mountain you were climbing without taking notice of what you were you were passing on the way to, to where whatever you were climbing and now you've taken it even a s- step further and you're really, it's like you're taking a magnifying glass to every piece of sign that you can find to know what's going on around you. That's yeah. really cool. And it's, um, it's going to go hiking with me though, unless you're into it too. Like I don't, <laughs> it's hard for me to hike like point A to point B now. Cause I'm always like, Oh, look at the oh, squirrel. Um, but if you're into that too, like we're going to have a good time in the woods, but if you're like, uh, I want to get from point A to point B person, like, don't, don't go hiking in the woods with me. (laughs) (laughs) Be like, this girl keeps stopping every five seconds. (laughs) There's so much cool stuff to look at. If you've got the curiosity and you know what you're looking at, there's always something cool to look at. I will always stop and look at poop when I find it. (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's deer scat or somebody else's scat, I'm like, hmm, whose scat is that? Uh Oh. 
Well, for for my listeners right now, um, I will do my due diligence and and um, find out find the website to a cyber tracker. You said. Yeah, the website is trackercertification.org. Um, that's their website for folks in the North America um, region. And they do evaluations where you can go. It's a two-day course. You sign up. You get asked, I, I forget if it's 50 or 100 questions, and you get scored on the on the questions. And then if you, if you obtain a high enough score, you can actually get certified, depending on your scores, either like a tracker like level one, two, three, or four. Um, if you get a perfect score, it's a four. I think if you get like above 90%, it's three, it's, et cetera. Um, but I, my first one, I haven't gotten certified yet. I took my first one and they're really, the track and signs are really, even if you don't want to get certified, they are an amazing learning opportunity because you, you discuss each one of the questions just after. So like, First, we look at it and the evaluator will ask like, well, what is this or who made this or maybe when about when this was and you write your answer, you you submit your answer. Once everybody has submitted their answers, then you have a discussion about why it is what it is. And some of the the wrong answers, the evaluator will discuss like, well, this is why it's not that. Um, and you know not calling anybody out but they'll look at some of the answers and they may be like okay well it's not this type thing right and so you're learning so much and so i i mean half the time i was just there was stuff on my eval that i was like i don't even know what that is and just you know took my best guess and was completely wrong but learned so much i have like copious notes i was like writing furiously like all weekend um about the stuff that i was learning and like i had never stopped to look at flying squirrel feeding sign before but it's, it was fascinating and now like i can't walk past like a, a hickory nut that has like a little beveled feeding sign on it without like picking it up and like huh i wonder if that was that a chipmunk or was that a flying squirrel how do i know wow i'll definitely uh put that link into the show notes so that way if any of the listeners are interested they can follow up and get more info sure all right. So now to back up, backtrack a little bit, I should say, um, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, what do you call it? You mentioned having killed your first and only buck in 2020, correct? Yep. All right. Uh, would you mind sharing that story with us? Not at all. Um, so it was... Um, I had finally gotten permission to hunt this uh, private piece of land. It was my basically my friend's uh, place. She had, I think she has like 20 acres, and it's this weird shape where it's very long but skinny. It's not very wide. Um, and the back, one of the skinny back ends, she lives on, on the front side, and this one skinny back end um, is along a fence line that some, some people run cows in. And... Um, then there's a nice like little old four by four track actually that like runs the south part of the the property and so at first i was like ah it's so small i don't think i'll be able to do much with it but i'll go check it out and i put some trail cams up and and um i walked the property that that summer and was really like ah i see some deer trails but i didn't see much like scat and i wasn't sure that there was like a whole lot of like good bedding on it and i was like maybe they feed in the um i thought maybe they were feeding in the field and then 
when I got there, I saw that there was a fence. Like I couldn't see the fence on on X. So I was like, oh, you know, I thought maybe they would be betting on the property and like walking into the field to feed at night. And then when I saw the fence, I was like, eh, that's not really what's happening here. Um, But there's some old trees along the fence line that really like kind of shade it out. And so I started looking for the places that the the branches and the trees along the fence line were high enough that it created like a natural hole that they could leap into um, to get into the field. So I started like kind of focusing on that. And um, the week before the season, I had been in there before the season opened, I had been in there checking my trail cam and I saw at least two shooter bucks on my trail camera. And what was, what was funny is I saw them on my trail camera and then I heard something, you know, maybe 50 yards off my, my left side, like in the field. And I look up and it was the two bucks I had just been looking at on my trail camera were like actually <laughs> hanging out in the field and saw me and like got the heck out of there. Um, so I, I put up a tree stand and, and there's a lot of standing dead ash on the property. So it was hard to find like a good tree that wasn't like a bazillion um, uh, horizontal branches. There's a lot of conifers. And so it was either like white pines or hemlocks that had like all these branches or like standing dead ash. So I finally found a tree that I could actually get a stand in. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of where I want it to be, but maybe not so much. And um, so I wasn't feeling very confident about it at all. And then the first day I went in there to hunt opening day anyway, it was a Thursday and I got in there in the morning and actually, I remember in the morning, something was watching me walk in. Like, at one point, I'm walking in the woods, and there was just, like, two glowing eyes, like, fixated on me. And I don't, use a, <laughs> I don't use a red headlamp. I use a green headlamp, green light on my headlamp when I go in. And at the time, the eyes were glowing green at me. And I didn't realize that it was my my headlamp reflecting in the eyes. I thought these were, like, these evil, ominous eyes <laughs> <laughs> green back at me. And I'm not, I'm not sure what that was. The, the eyes were actually a little bit too close together. So I think they were too far forward on the head to be a deer. So I I think it was a bear actually, but that definitely freaked me out. I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. And, um, I got into my tree, probably made a a freaking ton of noise because it was the first day of the season. I was all out of practice. Um, and I was sitting there for a while. It was like kind of a warmish day. And that day I had actually decided to do like a hybrid setup where I had my my saddle harness, but I had my hang on platform that had the seat that folds up and down. So it was almost like having like a really, really big platform, just like a gigantic platform for my um, saddle. And then the nice thing was that like I could kind of turn around throw the the tether for my saddle like kind of over my shoulder and I could take a break and like sit down on the the seat of my um of my sand and part of the reason that I did that is because that was the that was the platform that I had at the time but also the from my scouting like I wasn't sure which way the deer were actually coming across the property and I was I was kind of sitting in a V of two deer trails and I was like, well, if I sit one way, I'll cover this deer trail. But if I can get up and turn around, I can cover this deer trail behind me. And I had actually been sitting most of the morning, hadn't seen anything, um, had actually 
just texted. Uh, I, I, I got my coffee out of my thermos, was just like putting it back in my pack, had finished texting a buddy of mine. And I was standing up and I was facing the trees. So I wasn't sitting down. And from what would have been behind me around the corner of the field, I see this buck coming around the corner of the fence and he's coming towards me. And I was like, oh shit, this is it. And I look and I see three points, one inch on a side. Cause we have, we have antlers restriction here. Yeah. So, uh, I was like, oh God, he's legal. Like this is, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. Um, <laughs> and I was facing the tree. He was coming from my right side, passing to my left side. So my bow was hanging on the left side of the tree. So I'm able to slide my hand in, pick up the bow, clip my release on all behind the tree as far as like he can't see me because he's on the other side of the tree. And so I'm doing that all behind the tree. And then he steps out from the left side of the tree and I drew back and I, I don't even remember putting the pin on him. I don't remember. I kind of remember pulling back on the release and then hearing the sound of the arrow hitting him. And, and he, he jumped a little bit. I wouldn't say he mule kicked, but he kind of like sped up, went about like 10 yards and then walked to, a you know, slowed down to a walk, walked uh, maybe another 20 yards and then turned around and, and looked back at where I shot him kind of like, if he had a thought bubble above his head, it would probably be like, well, that was weird. I wonder what that was. And then <laughs> hooked into this little stand of like teeny little white pines. And um, that was made not even 50 yards from where I shot him. And that's, that's where I found him uh, an hour later. And um, it, the, the arrow went through the, like liver low lung liver on one side and then out the the lungs on the other so it was pretty pretty quick um pretty painless kind of death it was it was a wild experience too for me because until that point i wasn't sure if i could actually do the the killing part and i had actually been having before the season opened this whole like existential anxiety about like, did I just spend all these like last three years of my life, like learning all these things about hunting and buying all this equipment and all this camo and maybe I can't do it. And I wasn't sure, like maybe I'm not really a hunter. And when it, when it happened, it was really crazy. It was this very, it was almost like an out of body experience where I almost felt like I was watching myself go through the whole thing like from somewhere behind myself and it was almost like I, I felt like almost this like old ancestral primal like grandfather hunter person kind of like took over my body and was just like we know how to make this happen and <laughs> I, I really like my conscious brain just completely like shut off and it just yeah it all just happened in very like slow-mo but also really quickly it was it was it's it's very difficult to describe, but it also felt very, um, for me, I, you know, I feel like it was a very deeply spiritual experience because, you know, I felt like it all happened just the way that it needed to and just the way that it should. And I know, you know, for myself, like being a new, new hunter and never having you know, done that part of it before, I was like, there's no way I would have pulled that off if I was like, 
in my own head and like in my own space. Like I really just, I kind of felt like I had ancestral hunters, like, you know, way back in my lineage who were looking out for me and being like, this is, this is the human thing. We've been doing this since the dawn of humanity. And, and this is for you too. And um, we're going to help you with this for you because we know what your first time is like. Um, and so it felt like a initiation almost like I was sort of in, in a way being like brought into a, a club almost that is really as old as humanity. And so very, very powerful um, experience and uh, very grateful for that experience. And he was very delicious. Um, he wasn't all <laughs> rutted up yet. And um, I had a Euro mount of the skull. So he he hangs on my on my wall. And, um, you know, every time I look at him, I'm just like super, super grateful for that experience. And I understand like, you know, the, the younger version of me uh, when I was in college and stuff like that probably would have looked at people that had capes and mounts and stuff like that on their walls and been like, oh, they're just trophy hunters. And now <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, that's such a... T- <laughs> I mean, having been there, I understand where people are coming from, but also, like, having been in it, I'm like, it's so much more than that. Like, that's that that skull in my wall is not a memorial to my own for me it's not to memorialize my own ego it's not like hey look at me i'm i'm a good hunter or anything like that i mean he was two and a half years old he's he's not you know anything to write home about but he is so special to me like it's it's this to me it's it's why people you know it's the same way that like you hold you hang a a picture of your dead grandma on your wall or something like that you're like so i can always look at her remember and remember our relationship so i just it's not cool to put your your dead grandma's skull on your wall, but for some reason it's okay to put your your <laughs> dead first year skull on the wall. So, <laughs> so it's a place of honor, you know, and and it's 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 a um, it helps me remember that that moment and that relationship and that experience and and that gratitude for him. So that was my 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 so far my first and only buck it was just before nine o'clock on october 1st so my deer season that year was two hours long maybe <laughs> two hours long. um shortest year season ever wow well, so congrats, well congrats to you on on that um that's definitely that's an awesome story to be honest um all right so i i hate to to cut this short because i feel like we could probably go on for like hours I feel oh like totally i could learn from you but um being that um you are still you know a few years into you know your hunting journey mm-hmm. is there any piece of advice that you could offer to someone new to this as well somebody just like if there's someone you could if you could go back and tell you're what year five or year six into this Mm-hmm. Is is there something you would want to tell yourself if you could go back in time to like your first year into hunting that you could go back and tell yourself? What would you tell yourself? Um, I think I would remind my myself to enjoy the process that like the 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 killing, the harvesting is a really, really small part of what hunting is it doesn't feel like that on instagram though like when fall comes around and you see everybody with their grip and grin in your instagram feed it can feel like everybody else is filling a tag but you 
Um, and it can get really frustrating. And I know for a while I was like, can I even call myself a hunter if I haven't done like the thing? And I really kind of struggled with that and obsessed with that. And now having come full circle and, and having kind of completed the whole process, I, I'm just realizing like how much of hunting really is it's in the journey and the process it's in enjoying being in the woods. Um, learning from your time in the woods, asking questions, getting curious, like why are the deer moving on this day and this not this kind of day? And like, there's almost a science to it that if you are somebody who stays curious and enjoys the process along the way and asking questions, um, I think you're gonna be uh, in a much better, better place than if you're somebody who wants to be very goal driven and like has to like get to the thing like I have to get to the point where I kill this thing so I can I don't know take a picture and put it on Instagram or whatever is people's reason for for doing that but yeah so I would just remind myself like it, it's a process and the the tag filling part is a very 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 small portion of it and and not to measure your success or your validity as a hunter by how many tags that you've filled or euro mounts you have on your wall or any of that stuff awesome piece of advice that that couldn't close this out in a, in, the, in a more perfect manner so um i just want to thank you again mm-hmm. for spending your lunch break with me <laughs> um where can people find you on social media Primarily, I talk about my hunting adventures on uh, Artemis Ascendant. Um, that's pretty much it. I'm, I try to minimize my social media stuff <laughs> these days. <laughs> like, I'd rather the real world. I want to look at tracks, not look at pictures of tra- other people's tracks on the line. So uh, that's pretty much the main place that people can connect with me. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much again. I truly appreciate your time. Yeah, totally. It was a fun conversation. Thanks, Cliff. No problem. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Okay, so I've got to thank Krista again. I definitely enjoyed the story of her first book, and I hope you did too. So thanks for joining us. Now, as I mentioned in my conversation with Krista, there's going to be a link for the tracking certification in the show notes. So if you're interested, just uh, go to the show notes, basically the information section on the platform you're using to listen to the podcast scroll down you'll find a link to it all right now uh go ahead and hit the subscribe or the follow button and share this episode if you'd like or if you really like this episode leave a rating in the review section of um again whatever platform you're using to listen i would truly appreciate it now on another note I'd love to hear from you guys. So feel free to reach out to me and send an email to when the hunt calls at gmail.com. So until the next episode, stay blessed and remember to respect the journey, even when it's not your own.